Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Eric Felton. I'm joined today by Michael Warren, White House correspondent and senior writer for the Weekly Standard. Michael, how are you doing? Just fine, Eric. So if you were on the President's Manufacturing Commission, what's it? What's its official title? I don't even know. It's the Manufacturing Initiative Commission Council of America or something. <laughs> would you be quitting? Uh, well, there certainly would be the uh, social pressure to quit now. I mean, so you've got now, I, I guess over the last several months since it's been named, you now have five CEOs or, or major executives who have quit um, for various reasons. Well, really for two reasons. The first was Elon Musk quit because of the Paris Climate Accords. He sort of he, he, he got up out of there. And then Ken Frazier, the CEO of Merck, the pharmaceutical company, left following the uh, uh, the president's uh, President Trump's uh, insufficient comments on uh, wishy-washy response exactly to Charlottesville, and this is, I guess, started a wave. Um, a number of CEOs have left this commission, which we should hasten to add has I don't believe has even met yet uh, in any sort of formal setting. Um, and it's not always quite clear what they're supposed to be doing, except sort of encouraging manufacturing in America. Um, but uh, let's go through the names: Kevin Plank. Um, who's the CEO Under of Armour. Under Armour? Uh, uh, Brian Krasanich, who's the CEO of Intel, a uh, big, big company, manufactures a lot. And then t- uh, today, Scott Paul, who's actually runs, I think, I think it's a trade organization, the Alliance for American Manufacturers, um, has all, has now announced that he is leaving this uh, initiative commission or whatever you call it. Um, it seems like they're running running out of people for this uh, sort of. Uh, uh, Initiative, this this thing that hasn't met yet, that they they can't even keep people uh, on board, and and and, and I should and, say they're all leaving in reaction to the Charlottesville right. Uh, uh, statement. But but some some of these guys have arguably already taken significant hits for their what's perceived as their participation with this administration, the support for the president. So Kevin Plank and Under Armour, um, a lot of opposition. Uh, because of his participation in this committee. And uh, that perhaps is the thing that explains the, at least in part, the drop in stock price of right. Under Armour and the fact that they've had to let some two, three hundred people go from the company. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that makes a CEO you know, stand up and uh, and think, well, what am I doing here? I mean, so I, I should say, before I get into what I really want to say about this, that I mean, there is this kind of reflexive antagonism toward anything associated with the Trump administration um, that that can be can be damaging, right? I mean, every every little thing that the federal government, the executive branch, does, um, there are always going to be people who complain because it's Donald Trump as the president. Uh, how could you and be it, associated? And with it? it and it doesn't mean that Donald Trump is in the wrong. I mean. Um, Elon Musk, who collects piles of subsidies from the federal government, right. could holler all day long about the Paris Climate Accord, but that doesn't make the Paris Climate Accord a smart um, way of approaching questions of climate change. That's right. I mean, this was th- that was certainly Elon Musk's leaving was a was a totally political uh, departure from from the commission. It was simply you just can't be in Silicon Valley and in California be a CEO of a forward thinking forward thinking company like Tesla or or SpaceX or any of these other companies Elon Musk runs uh, and, uh, and 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 sort of be a part of something that that was such a controversy and such a political controversy kind of ridiculous. That said, I mean Ken Frazier of, of Merck. Merck. 
um, I think had a pretty good reason to leave, uh, you know, being African-American himself, um, uh, to leave this commission. It, you know, you, you essentially have the president give a half-hearted uh, denunciation of hate on many sides, uh, what, what was clearly a, a white nationalist movement, and now he's sort of rectified it, but the damage is done. Uh, you mentioned the sort of uh, damage that these other companies have had because of their association with this. They've got to be answering to their shareholders. Um, that's their job. Uh, and uh, and so I guess they've decided to cut their losses um, and, 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 and get out while everybody else is getting out. Um, but I think... I do think this sort of represents as unfair as it can be for anything associated with the broad executive branch under President Trump uh, to be uh, sort of a no-go zone. I think it does. This does reflect a problem that Trump has, and it's not just in these sort of uh, Potemkin commissions that are set up to do very important things. That very just, important. It just kind of draw media PR attention and, and not much else. Uh, I'm sure they do fine work in some kind of initiative here, there, or wherever. Um, but I, I think this is a problem for him in Congress. I think it's a problem for him in sort of the broader American people uh, getting on board with anything that President Trump does, which is Trump drives people away. Trump drives people, well, he drives people crazy. He uh, drives people um, uh, to, uh, I, I, I think he has a problem of turning off people that he needs, people who are ne- are not necessarily, uh, you know, Republicans or Trump voters, uh, but that, you know, help make things work in a sort of broad pluralistic society, in a uh, federal government that has a lot of different people in it with different views, um, and even sort of in the narrow sense of Congress. I mean, he can't even get Republicans entirely, entirely on board to uh, 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 initiatives or uh, issues or bills that they ostensibly would support something like Obamacare repeal, for instance. Um, I think I think back to what President Trump said before he was president about John McCain. I mean, that had to have been a factor in McCain's decision um, to uh, to not sort of put himself out there and vote for uh, a problematic, I think, problematic bill, but one that he probably could have written out. Uh, the fact is, is that Trump didn't doesn't give him a reason to vote for it, doesn't give him a reason to support him and give uh, people for people to give him uh, a victory. And I think as a sort of practical matter, this is a problem for Trump, and it's not getting any better. You know, Trump came in promising to overthrow all of the old hoary cliches and rules of Washington, and uh, we're getting a test case of what happens, whether those old rules were just leftover vestiges or whether they actually are the way things work. The classic American political science take on the presidency is the president primarily has a power to persuade and that he needs to be persuading not only people on the Hill, not only the American people, not only foreign governments, but even his own staff he needs to be persuading at all times because he needs them to implement the decisions he makes. And there's so much leeway for how you implement if you haven't persuaded the people who work for you of the correctness of what you're doing, they can hobble you. Um, This is the Richard Neustadt take on on the presidency. Donald Trump has not exerted much effort at persuading people. No, instead, the the idea here seems to be, you need to be loyal to me because I'm the president or because I I won the election. And um, I think that 
actually the presidents actually get a little mileage out of that. Um, there is a moment there's what they I guess they call it the honeymoon period, um, you know, where where people sort of even give presidents uh, a little leeway, and and that's a, 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 a time in a presidency when you can get things done, get things through that. Uh, you certainly, uh, you know, very often cannot get through it, say, at the end of your second term. Um, and I was I was reading something recently about how uh, all recent presidents have gotten something done, some signature initiative through Congress uh, within the first six, seven, eight months of their presidency. You can go back to Barack Obama and the stimulus. Uh, you can go to George W. Bush and um, I believe there was the, it was the educa- there was the education bill and Medicare Part D. Um and Trump doesn't have anything like that. He doesn't have anything to point to. And the honeymoon period is clearly over. Is the honeymoon over? Yeah, Michael? I think the, I think the honeymoon <laughs> ended a long time ago. Um, and, but I think it, it it is a it it is hobbling of Trump um, that he that he seems to turn people off and give people so much of sort of leadership is about giving people a reason who don't agree with you or who don't support you, who aren't on board with you, a reason to do that, to get on board. Or and, to take people who do agree with you about the basic things right. and not make it toxic for them to publicly support you. That's a very good point. And I think we're seeing a turn on this, if, to bring it back to Charlottesville. Um, you are seeing now, it's always been the case that the Senate, uh, the Republicans in the Senate were always going to be sort of in Washington, the most powerful uh, 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 forces uh, to push back against President Trump's, you know, possible excesses um, because they were they were in his own party. Um, senators have a lot more sort of individual power. Um, and we've seen that throughout his presidency. You've seen individual senators sort of on the Republican side, stand up on whether it's, uh, uh, you know, the, the question of Russia, uh, the, the, the question of, um, you know, sort of Middle East policy, um, Afghanistan, for instance. Uh, Tom Cotton is a perfect example of somebody who's sort of putting pressure on the Trump administration uh, on their Afghanistan policy. Um, what you're seeing now is, and we saw it in this reaction to Charlottesville, is uh, Republican senators basically deciding it is just simply too toxic to hold our tongues on this. And you saw somebody like Cory Gardner, a senator from Colorado, pretty, uh, I would say, uh, middle of the road in terms of he's, he's, he's not somebody who throws bombs. He's not somebody um, who sort of uh, he's, he's a conservative, but he's um, he's he's never been out front and sort of opposing Trump or even really supporting Trump. Um, and he's he out, he was out there on Saturday responding immediately to President Trump's statement and saying, you've got to call this what it is. Um, I think that's uh, a pretty, uh, that indicates sort of where people who are ostensibly on Trump's side are now. They're willing now to sort of step away from the president and make a, um, uh, make some uh, more pointed and more heated criticisms and, and push away. Now, that's going to be a lot harder to get somebody like Cory Gardner on board for something controversial um, if he feels, and, and increasingly people, Republicans in Congress feel, uh, that an association with President Trump is toxic. The last thing I'll say about this is there's an opportunity, I think, at the very beginning of the presidency for Trump to reach out to Democrats. And it could have done it through policy, and he could have uh, approached um, uh, Democrats with some kind of infrastructure program 
something that Democrats always like to spend money on. Uh, and it would have put Democrats in a bind. And you would have had, I think, Midwest, uh, you know, Democrats in places like Minnesota or Ohio or whatever, uh, pl- in places that Trump either did very well or won in uh, relative to Republicans in the past, uh, could have sort of driven a wedge and gotten people on board with him. Um, there is there is absolutely no upside for any Democrat in Congress to get on board with pretty much anything Donald Trump does now. That tells you that is that kind of encapsulates the the problem for for Trump. And I don't know how he gets out of it. Michael Warren, thanks for joining us on the Daily Standard podcast. Thanks, Eric. Support for the Daily Standard podcast comes from the Dollar Shave Club, the smarter choice. You get a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. It's a no-brainer. You don't have to schlep to the store and try to get razors out of those little plastic safes they're always locked behind. No cheap disposable razors that give you a cheap shave. And you don't spend a fortune on 14-blade razors with magic lubrication strips or other gimmicky shave technology. It's just a great razor paired with Dr. Carver's shave butter for a smooth, gentle shave. Listeners of the Daily Standard podcast can make the smarter choice by joining Dollar Shave Club. New members get their first month of the executive razor with a tube of Dr. Carver's shave butter for only $5 with free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. That's a $15 value for only 5 bucks. In your first month box, you get a weighty handle, a cassette of four razor cartridges, and a tube of shave butter. After your first month, replacement cartridges ship automatically at their regular price. There are no hidden fees and no commitments. Cancel any time you like. For this exclusive offer, go to dollarshaveclub.com slash weeklystandard. That's it for today's Daily Standard podcast. Be sure to tune in every day. Just go to iTunes or Google Play for a free subscription, or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. I'm Eric Felton. Thanks for listening.